Hi, Tom. Hello, Heron. How are you? Oh, complex. Very good. <laughs> very good. How's uh, Michelle doing? She seems to be doing very well, actually. She's out doing her usual Friday night thing, going and seeing her, uh, her quilting buddies. So we good. have an evening of conversation ahead of us. All right. So, do you have any topics you want to discuss? None. None. You're fresh out of topics, and we are only just beginning. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I I have started playing my keyboard again. Ah, very uh, interesting. Yeah, I got a email from some guy. I, I put a thing on Co-Founders Lab three years ago. Uh-huh. You know, are you familiar with what they do? Familiarize me, Heron. Well, Familiarize just, me. They basically hook up people with. You know, with ideas, with people who build businesses and, and, uh, try to put those two things together. Uh-huh. So, you know, or people, anyway, people who are looking to start stuff, but, you know, need other people to fill out the team, you know. Mm. Anyway, after three years, I get an email from some guy who's interested in the keyboard, uh-huh. wants to come by and take a look at it. And, um, I only had two days. So I, I really, didn't, I mean, <laughs> I can't, I haven't even played it in three years, so right. I couldn't really even demo it for him, you know. Uh-huh. But in any case, it got me all fired. I mean, at first I had to dust it off, <laughs> you know, so it took me a little while to clean it up, you know, and then, and then get it work, get the speakers working right and everything. But, um, now that it's it's all cleaned up and dust free, I've found myself p- starting to play it again. Uh-huh. And, uh, God, it's such a beautiful thing. So, did the dude actually come over? Yeah, yeah, but uh, I well, I, I don't know. He, he, I, I didn't expect him to make a decision on the spot. He said he'd get back to me. So, who? I mean, you don't need to necessarily go into yeah. details, but this is is this a dude with manufacturing? Or financial credibility. I mean, what makes yeah, him worthy to see well, the people? I, I checked his. Uh, I, I checked him on the internet, you know, uh-huh. Oak Founders Lab, and then just did a general search. And he started uh, several businesses that he has sold for several million dollars. Okay, each, you know, so he's he's got a track record, or at of, least the internet says he has. Yeah, yeah. And any to do with musical instruments? Uh, yeah, he's a music producer, apparently. Oh, okay. But he, does, but he does other things, too. But he was interested in the music stuff. Like I say, he uh-huh. starts businesses. But uh, he's, I mean, he has a, you know, he's some sort of music producer, although I'm not quite sure just exactly what. Oh, okay. So none of, none of the references you found online referred to the music that he's produced? Uh, you know, I didn't even really look. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I just, I mean, I'll show the thing to anybody. Well, you want to show it to me, Heron? <laughs> sure, if you come, I'd be happy to show it to oh, you. Oh, if I turned up on your doorstep. Oh, yeah, and, and you're willing to sign a non-disclosure agreement, and I'd be happy to show it to you. Well, if I was willing to sign a non-disclosure agreement, would you send me a video of it, or is that too... Uh, well, I don't think that, I mean, I could, but, mm-hmm. but it, it really... Um, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, I could send send you photos and shit, you know. Okay. But but um, like I say, that you really have to sit down with it to get it, you know. Okay. So anyway, I don't know. I I I haven't heard back from him now. It's been a week. Uh-huh. And I, even if he does call me back, I didn't particularly click with the guy anyway. So, uh-huh. uh, and, but the good thing is, like I say, is I find myself now playing it since it's all, I didn't want to touch it before. It was so dirty. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, so. I would imagine that you would have covered it with cloth or something. You just had it out in the open? No, it's just sitting there collecting dust. Oh, yeah. So you don't cover it with cloth or anything? No. Oh. No, that, that would be, that would be like admitting defeat. <laughs> 
Or acknowledging that when it's encrusted with dust, it's less likely to be played. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's not a bad idea. I actually hadn't ever really thought of that. <laughs> you see, it's living with these women folk, Heron, that makes you aware of these yeah, kind of things. Yeah, so. I, I, that's, that's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> yes, well, if I can contribute to the yeah, intellectual development of this piano, around. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I got Find a well-worn towel that will yeah, go it, over it. It would, it would just about work. A good-sized bath towel would Very cover good. nicely, yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, but now that I'm playing it, uh, you know, I'll, you know, in a few weeks I'll probably get bored with it, and then I'll, I'll get a towel out this time. <laughs> Very good. That's interesting. So there's there's a website where you put your name down. How, how much description did you have to give about the keyboard on the website? Well, they give you. You can do a lot. I didn't put much. I I put like three or four projects. You know, Gendo, and then the speak mm-hmm. ESL stuff, and then mm-hmm. the board. And, and I, 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 like I say, I don't pay much. I, I register on a lot of sites like this, you know, but I give them two minutes worth of information and I've never seen them again, you know? Mm. And so, um, like I say, I'd forgotten all about this one, <laughs> you know, until this guy gives me an email. It's interesting that actually through your ideas, this is the one that percolated and connected with this individual. Well, this makes sense. I mean, if he's a music producer and, yeah. and the description I gave, I mean, I didn't, I gave almost no description at all. I just said, a new keyboard music notation reinventing uh, music mm-hmm. for the 21st century or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, some bullshit. <laughs> very good. Now, that's very interesting. Well, I mean, time is probably your friend in this regard. I mean, if he got back in contact with you quickly, it would probably be more likely to be a negative response if he's actually considering this. I mean, is he going to get back in contact with you no matter what, or could no? He, no, he, I, I have no idea what he's uh-huh. going. To, you know, I don't know. The thing is, I, I I sort of don't trust the guy. You know, you know, like the reason I've never gone into business with anybody yes. is because basically people don't do what they say they're going to do. Yeah. You know, whether he calls me, I mean, I have no idea whether he's got any plans to call me back or not, or whether you know, I, I don't know what was going on with him when he was here. So uh, you know, we'll see. Let's let's just distill this idea. Yeah. People don't do what they say they'll do. Yeah. When it gets right down to it, few not not everybody, but few. Most people. So this came up in a recording a couple of uh, weeks ago, and I wanted to delve more into it because I think there's a Stonian deconstruction associated with this Uh that actually explains that people can never do what they say they'll do. (laughs) That actually the mapping of language, internal language onto external language to your external languages to your internal language is so fraught with contradictions and misconnections, it really is amazing that people actually, that societies can move forward. Oh, yeah. You you have a particular perspective on this, which I thought was interesting. You were talking about the notion of not credibility, but what was the term you used? Reputation. Oh, yeah. For doing what you say you're going to do. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I take that real seriously. You see, the problem is that a lot of people perceive that they are doing what they say they will do, but your perception of no, what they're they are doing shit. Yeah, is they're different. Yeah, they're full of shit. They're kidding themselves. They're using ambiguous language <laughs> that they can weasel out of uh, if it becomes necessary uh, to, you know, to flatter their egos or to save their bacon. Yes, but they will consider themselves of the highest reputation. Oh, of course. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm just saying, this is why I haven't gone into business with anybody because yeah. I haven't run into anybody that I actually trust to, to the, whose word I can count on. Yeah. I don't know whether I've necessarily been too trusting through my life or just outwardly hopeful. 
But I think the <laughs> yeah. the nature of the fallibility of humans is so... I mean, I it, I hate to use this kind of terminology because it sounds like old religion, fundamentally. Yeah. But the fallibility of humans is so Pervasive. absolute to be a constant. <laughs> I mean, it, it, yeah, it's something I that, you yeah, know... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's called language monkeys. You don't have to sound like a Christian. Just talk about <laughs> a bunch of fucking language monkeys. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and not everybody is that way, though. I'm open to the possibility of running into somebody that I could actually do business with. I mean, I know people like that. I know yeah. people that I would do business with, but, of course, they don't have any money. <laughs> so Maybe there's something about that. Maybe, yeah, there maybe may be some relation there, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Our, our mutual friend Motz posted on the Stone Ape Facebook group his interpretation of what he had said to me i think he actually deleted the correspondence he had with me prior to posting it because facebook enables you to do that you can actually delete correspondence uh-huh. uh so i wasn't able to go back to his correspondence and actually the, the wonderful language he used initially in communicating with me but re-reading his account through facebook i realized we're that talking actually, about the the kundalini, kundalini stuff yeah okay yes that i i realized that Really, I basically was simpatico with what he had said. It was just small alterations. In fact, he got into it in more detail, which I found really fascinating that he had tried to take over the group and then was kicked out of the group and in the process had blocked a series of people. I mean, it added a, just a colour to the whole experience, <laughs> which makes me realise that his description, he and you had a conversation um, maybe two years ago associated with his disenchantment with the Occupy movement, yeah. that the only people he could find in the Occupy movement that he could spend any time with were assholes. <laughs> and I'm starting to realize that maybe Mots, maybe there might be something there that you might be looking into. That uh, the nature of actually creating communities and particularly functioning communities yeah. is oftentimes removing your not necessarily emotional baggage, but the need for either a degree of perfection or to instigate to some kind of utopian goal. Well, and there think, needs to be a shared sort of vision yeah. or or a, a commitment to some well, kind of values or something. You see, I was thinking about this through the week associated with the notion of the political flip-flopper. That there's this notion in politics that if you hate gays and you're against abortion, damn it, because you're killing fetuses, then if you ever change your mind from that perspective, you're a yeah, flip-flopper. Yeah, right, yeah. Well, sometimes you are a flip-flopper, and sometimes you actually can have a change of mind. Well, And the, and the question is whether, how the hell do you tell the difference? Mm. <laughs> there's this situation in Australia currently where the current Prime Minister in Australia, a majority, in fact, all but three of my Australian friends on Facebook who acknowledge political affiliations, hate this fellow. <laughs> Yet yeah. when I watch him, I and particularly when he's shown together with other Australian politicians, like historical politicians, I have so much disdain for all these people, I can't see that there's any distinction, any meaningful distinction Aside from the fact that this guy isn't particularly eloquent, whereas all yeah. these other fascists were completely eloquent in there, you know, but it's meaningless drivel, that's the thing, you know? Yeah, it's like you've got the intellectual fiber of an Obama speech. You just, you know, you just, anyway. I, well, it, there are good speeches, but again, they're speeches. Somebody writes them for effect and, and yeah. uh, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I I guess one needs to remain optimistic. And my feedback to Mots is: if at first you don't succeed, create another group. Yeah. Maybe, maybe engage with the Kundalini. Start peddlers. your own group. You know. Yeah. Because the Kundalini peddlers are clearly doing something right. There's clearly a. Well, part she's in what cute as doing. hell. I like her. 
I thought she was gone. Mops immediately blocked her. He was <laughs> yeah. the first. She was the yeah. first one. Yeah. This is why she couldn't. Actually, I think this was a statement. This is why he couldn't see her damn Kundalini video because he blocked her before she yeah. posted it. Yeah, yeah, too bad. Yeah, yeah she. Well, like I say, I, I've got a legacy with with those kind of people, and my I I kind of like them. They're they're yeah. meatheads, but yeah. but you know their hearts in the right place, and I, I'll go for a good heart over a good mind. I mean, if it's got to be just one or the other, I'll take a good heart. Yes. Did I ever tell you about Delphina, the Filipino woman or girl that I was in college with that I – well, anyway. Continue, Aaron. Well, tell well, the story. When I was in college, I was quite um, social. You know, for, up until the point when I decided I was going to get rid of all those people because they were a bunch of vampires. But in any case, uh, Delfina was one of this group of like 30 or 40 people that was just sort of always around the area that I used to hang out in. <laughs> and she was, you know, a good looking young, you know, maybe 20, 22 or something you know, right in there, uh, Filipina. Mm-hmm. And, and I never could figure out whether she was like, just plain fucking stupid or, or just, or whether it was some cultural thing or what, but she just, she, I mean, God, she, I mean, I, I think maybe it was a little bit of all of that stuff, but I mean, she just was like stupid, you know, she, she didn't know anything about anything, it seemed. Yes. But she, I always felt so good when she was around. She was such a loving, nice person who, only thought really of other people and trying to make things good and, and remembered things about other people and mm. you know she was just such a sweet girl that that I you know I really loved her every time I saw her I just thought oh, I'm so glad she's here you know mm-hmm. all these all these clever uh, witty people you know I mean like like puns and shit like she just didn't get any of that stuff you know <laughs> but you know. So in any case, that that I I learned a lesson from that because uh, she was just such a lovely person, and usually I tend to value intelligence and mm-hmm. cleverness and all that kind of shit. But really, if I have to choose between them, I'll take a good heart. Yes, of course I'd probably get bored to death after a while. I certainly wouldn't want to marry her. <laughs> well, that's interesting, actually. I mean, my my view with regards to these things is that. We, in, in our rawest form, in terms of the enzymes that protect uh, our health, our immune systems. Yeah. You will instinctively go after an opposing immune system. And my sense is, aside from visual similarities, which people tend to marry people who are somewhat visually similar to them, there seems to be some strong need to have complementary couples where, you know, one, and the ones where they are both well, puns are a good example. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you have two punsters together, you have a very boring couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If it, well, if they degenerate into the, the least common denominator and make puns all the time. Continuously. And that, yeah, yes. then you're right. But I don't, I don't think that's inherent. That's not necessary. That just shows their own lack of creativity. I mean, I certainly, when I, when I was in my late teens, I dated a child genius for a couple of years. And, she was seriously like crazy. I mean, yeah, she was just yeah, I know, out yeah. there, yeah, nuts, crazy, yeah, right. And but I, she had it under control, more or less, right? I no, mean, most people God, didn't know it. Oh, no, 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 I didn't oh, know God. it until the very end. That was the curious thing with her. <laughs> no, for yeah, for the whole time, she had this other like boy toy 
who was really, really stupid. And she would, uh, basically, she was an Orthodox Jew. So I had to maintain all this orthodoxy thing with her family. And then (laughs) her father once called our house when I was about 17 and demanded that my mother wake me up because obviously his Sarah was in my bed. (laughs) And uh, my mother said, no, you know, my son's asleep. What's your problem? I mentioned this to Sarah the next day and she turned out she she was with this fellow. But I just thought nothing of it at the time because it seemed really quite curious. Fast forward in our, you know, first year of university uh she was moving to israel i had gotten a scholarship in israel to technion uh to go and study over there i was learning my hebrew you know i I was never i never affiliated myself with the jewish religion but it seemed very curious i mean i just seemed more kind of compatible with this girl at that time yeah the whole time she'd be with this other guy the guy called me up and and, (laughs) and talked to me about it and i just thought this whole thing is just completely disintegrated here (laughs) no look this isn't what i thought it was my my view actually is that if you are in any way intellectually inclined you will you will it's like two sharp edges rubbing up against each other you need to have you know if one person is sharp the other person has to be complementary not both kind of hitting together i know i i mean my spiritual i just don't think there are any rules actually i mean i think you can say stuff like that and it and and it's uh and I, it all, sounds I, all good. I speak of is from personal experience <laughs> yeah, and observation. Right, yeah yeah okay yeah i mean I, yeah i've got my own set of rules like that but again mm. i i wouldn't put them beyond my own experience well all we can do is uh, i mean it's wonderful to talk about other people's experience frequently and well, i'm going to do we're that all the same evening, but- i mean Mm. You know, we are all different, really, more different probably than we're comfortable uh, thinking about. Certainly. Well, it's actually quite interesting. I mean, I I think one of the reasons that I find it very easy to live with my spiritual advisor is because we are sufficiently different. Mm. And actually, every morning, there is a unique discussion that we have. Because her interests are completely outside my interests, and I, you know, typically yeah. take the first shower, and she's reading the news, and she'll give me, you know, something that has come to her or is interest to her. Yeah, we share each other's dream discussions and things like that, and she always has crazy dreams, and I have <coughs> crazy dreams, and these kind of things. But they're never simpatico. They're never, you yeah. know, very rare. Well, there doesn't have to be actually. Yeah, you know. you're right. Yeah, you're yeah. Right. But that's not really all that important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I mean, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you're too similar. It tends not to be this kind of interaction. I don't well, know. I've, I've known I've known friends who are academics who are, but they don't. You know, they live very distant lives from one another, which kind of seems strange, too. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is I, yeah. I think you know there are people like me who really do like living alone. Certainly. You know, I, I think that underneath it, that we come here with very different agendas. You know, different biologies, different mm-hmm. cultures. Di- you know, different families and. And we think, oh, and we are all the same on Sunday. I mean, we're all speaking English, so the fact that we've got that running in our language machine Mm. gives us a lot in common. Mm. But uh, who knows? You know, this thing I've been on lately about everybody having autism, more and more I... Uh, I'm, I'm beginning to, to see that as making so much sense that, that there's this sort of vast terrain of, of awarenesses and potentials that we all have and, and that those dials can be set 
Yeah. I mean, clearly this isn't a concern of yours, but I will raise it. Do you feel yeah. that you are trivializing the term autism when you say that no, there are, no, autism? No, no I, I hope not. It's, they call it autism spectrum now. And, Certainly. And, and even, but I think that's incorrect. That's too, that's one dimensional. Yeah. You're on this spectrum. I think it's, it's, it's at least a, a field. Like I say, a terrain and the mountains can be anywhere. You know, and which configurations we call debilitating autism may be different peaks uh, in very different parts of that terrain. Mm. I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't, uh, I, I, who knows? I don't think people are, are trying to classify things that way in particular. But uh, anyway, that makes sense to me in, in that we all get a, a unique set of parameters on these thousands of individual little <laughs> tendencies or sensitivities and and if you get the wrong set you're fucked so yes. i don't trivializing autism at all uh, i'm just I, i'm just using the word in a different way because i know clearly that i've got tendencies that uh, if i was hospitalized i mean i could be di diagnosed as um, autistic if i was more severe i mean these things these parts of my self or whatever you want to call it, uh, if I was diagnosed uh, as, you know, having autism, those things would fit right into that. And they go, oh, yes, and he's got this and this and this. Ah, ah yes, it's autism. <laughs> so, I mean, through the week, I passed on the maps, ladies' details to yeah. you via email. Are you pursuing that? Uh, I haven't yet. I, okay. I'm trying to figure out, I, I really don't know what to say to her. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it sounds like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, is she expect? What do you think she's expect? She's expecting to hear from me, I guess, right? So I. I, well, I it's interesting. I mean, my my view is that expectations are always an interesting perspective. I mean, I don't necessarily know that she has any expectation here. She's probably contacted by you know dozens of people in any given month along. You know, for either interviews or discussions. Yeah. Associated with well, the what's your connection? You? Which, what's your connection? Well, I mean, that's she, interesting. She had her her I mean, whatever she knows about me, she got through you. Okay, so here's here's my connection with her. Bruce Damer and I, Bruce has been referred to in many a Stone Act prior, have been working together for fifteen odd years. Uh, Bruce vets me. I vet Bruce. Bruce introduced me to Lorenzo when they were picking up. The well, actually, no, Lorenzo and I have been in correspondence for years. Probably seven years, now I come to think of it. Uh, and I've produced audio for Lorenzo's Psychedelic Salon. And I've spoken to Lorenzo once on the phone. He lives in San Diego. And Lorenzo responds to my email. Or Lorenzo responds to a very few people's email. So Lorenzo already respects me because of the Bruce connection. I contacted Lorenzo and Bruce. And my understanding is potentially maybe Bruce and Lorenzo have potentially heard a Stone Ape podcast. Maybe. Who knows? And that gives some credence to the fact that you, I'm vetting your... What was the so, so you approached them on behalf of me. We had a conversation. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about this. Yeah. We had a conversation four weeks ago, Heron, where I said, I think the next step for you through the sabbatical yeah. is potentially contacting the maps people and seeing whether yeah. you could get into one of these uh, studies. Uh, okay. You said, oh, that would be really interesting. Can you yeah. introduce me? And I said, yeah. certainly. Okay. And within a few hours, I had Lorenzo and Bruce contacting this third-party woman who, uh -huh. who runs maps in L.A. Oh, so they contacted her based on your communication with them. 
Yes, okay. you you have all this correspondence. No, I know I do, yeah. but but uh, it's, just it's helpful it to, to, to hear yeah. you, how you chime. Then my uh, spiritual advisor had her tonsils out. Everything went haywire. I didn't get any sleep for about a week and a half. And then I realized, hold it, wait, I haven't actually done the final connection here, which is formally, because you have all the informal yeah. correspondence, but I haven't actually formally said, here is Heronstone. Now, the way I introduced you was that you were a veteran, uh, that you were... <laughs> no, that's important. You will get into many a study based on that status. Uh, that we had talked about uh, PTSD. I never thought that would pay off. <laughs> believe me, Heron, you've got to milk it for all it's worth in You're this really? Society. Okay, all right. Yeah, and right. Um, that, uh, that we had talked about maps, and you wanted more information on maps, but you might also fit one of the categories for their studies. One of the, what the category for the study currently is autism. Yeah. Anyways, because... I guess because I'm clearly not the federales, and even though they work with the federales, they, you know, you got into this correspondence thing that I had yeah. organized. Yeah. I, okay. I was actually very sent, impressed. Yeah. I was very impressed with the speed at which this thing came together. Yeah. I provided the Gendo page, I provided your Facebook page. Okay, well, and they, I think that was they, they took the time to look, yeah. they know a little something yeah. about. Yeah. yeah, okay. All right. And uh, her name is what? Alicia or? No, I, Danforth. Alicia Danforth, perhaps? Yeah. yeah. Uh, who knows? Anyway, it's in the yeah. emails I've got. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've started uh, an email to her, and then I thought, you know, I really don't have any idea <laughs> what I'm asking for. I'm, 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 uh, I'm torn really between approaching her just as a person who's interested in these subjects, apart from her title or anything. Yeah. You know, and as just to connect with her and see if we've got any business Certainly. like on that level. Yeah. And then the other thing is, I'm a veteran. I may have some aspects of autism. I'd love to be in your study. That sounds like really sort of coming in as this helpless beggar. <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, which is basically what it would be. <laughs> I, look, I frame. I don't look. That's all your burden. I mean, that's your yeah. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, yeah, I, understand. I don't think yeah. that's necessarily anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, my sense. Okay. Well, is that yeah. an appropriate way to approach her? Yes. Which way? Would you both. think that's a more appropriate way? I would go with both. I would just say that through your discussions with me, you realize that these studies exist, that you have, yeah. a, you know, an intellectual and philosophical interest in exploring, you know, these aspects okay, of I you. Okay, yeah, right. I can can actually write a yeah. fucking essay. It's, okay. Well, no, <laughs> or you could just talk to her. You could just call her on the, you yeah. could say, you know, is well, there a time I where I can talk to you? Well, that was the, the other yeah. thing I was, I was going to say. Uh, is there some possibility we can arrange a time to talk on Skype or on the phone? Yeah. And, and just and leave it at that and see if that's, and if she says no to that, then, okay, then I'll write something up. But yeah. I would much prefer to just, well, I still am going to have to give her some background. I can't just, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, at least I have a better sense of, of all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I'm going to be diagnosed with glaucoma. So oh, it would, my, I actually think I was actually, the pressure in my eyes has gone away. It was, I, it was a combination of factors, including my wife being ill and me being really tired yeah. because basically she was working, waking up every four hours through the night. And I think that was the, so I, my feeling is I'm probably not going to be on any medicinal uh, oh, good. studies in the foreseeable future. Well, maybe it's a good <laughs> well, thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. Who knows? Well, but it's yeah. a thing. You know? Well, 
<laughs> I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So you, you find some other way. To it's use. funny because yeah, my everyone who spends time with me, all all the psychedelic communities that I have engaged with, after people spend long periods of time with me, they always advocate that I need to not change myself in any you know in, in any psychedelic exploration. That basically what I've done really? for meditation and thought and you know just general discourse <laughs> is sufficient. Really? Yeah. Jeez, I think you. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I've never recommended anybody not do drugs. Very good. Because <laughs> I thought that was what you were advocating there. I was a little concerned by the uh, the general narration associated with yeah positivity that I may not be uh, able to collect medicinal. Uh, Oh, no, oh, I see. No, I just think uh, if anytime you've got some pathology physically, that's not a good thing. Very good. Take some drug to counteract it, it'd be better to counteract <laughs> it some other way. If, yeah. I mean, drugs taken to explore epistemological, you know, quirks in our psychology, now mm-hmm. that's something quite different. Unfortunately, there's no legislation in California associated with that. But Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. So, through the week. <laughs> The decision was made that the embargo could be lifted on the news associated ah. with our... Ah, that's right, yes. <laughs> so, you'll be pleased to know that this house has a garden with a tenant in it. In fact, oh. two people, newlyweds, oh. uh, who have uh, a unit in the garden of this house. And the house is... um The way I've characterized it to people is it's a mansion in the ghetto. Yeah, there are a lot of those, actually. There are a lot of really beautiful old homes in really shitty neighborhoods. The thing about the neighborhood is it is on the up and up, but it still is lacking basic facilities. And the the street that it's on is between, it's like five blocks with freeways on either end. So there's a lot of through traffic to get onto either freeway. But the house itself... If you sit on the veranda, you can watch the cars go past. It's not particularly <laughs> offensive. No, it's like a river. And but the sound is all fascinating. Yeah, but when you get in the house, you are in a different world. It's like you step back in time a yeah. hundred years. Yeah. We are committed to actually maintaining a lot of the internals to be, aside from things like Ethernet, to actually maintain the wood and these kind of things because it really is very intricate and quiet. Well, you're going to have to post some photos. Yes. Talking about this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's actually very, <laughs> the thing about it is that we went there the second time I'd actually been into it. We went there through the week to meet the tenants. And I considered posting photos, and it was almost like um, pornography. I actually felt <laughs> slightly disgusted to post it at this stage. Like, I thought, this is something oh, okay, that is so yeah. wonderful that yeah. I actually want to experience it before I start, yeah. you know, well, and you hadn't bought it yet online. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. it's yeah. now in a stage where um, we could back out, but the sellers could not back out. So we're in this kind of strange stage, and somewhere within the next week or so, everything will go through, and we'll actually have unless you back out, unless we back in out that time. Yeah, the roof is to, in this. Maybe it's the same in Southern California as well, but in Northern California, if you have a roof with holes in it that's deteriorated, you are legally able to put another roof on top of it. The problem is that that roof now deteriorated as well. So part of the sale... (laughs) There are two roofs on this thing. There are two roofs on this thing that have deteriorated. So part of the sale is to have the roofs removed and replaced with what they call a 50-year roof. Start over again. Exactly. So that they have to do. And how much does that cost? um, Well, we were originally quoted at 20000 and they found a place that will do it for 10000 Yeah, that sounds more reasonable. So, yes, I couldn't believe 20000 actually. 
unfortunately, because we're taking no, the house too. and gone. Yeah, yeah, you gotta, yeah, you gotta shop well, around. Yeah, it's a big job, you know. Yeah, it's a big job. Being someone you can trust. Yeah, and, it's a, it's a kind of yeah. two-story split house as well. It's really very curious. Um, the thing about it as well, it has a basement, which no houses in this part of the world have. I realized in the basement, the basement's unfinished. Well, not many. Well, because my few. uncle had a basement in his house. I'm and- sure, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sure some do, but it's pretty rare. Yeah, I think so. My only distress with the basement was I realized if we put in a, uh, like a roof or even a wooden roof on the basement, I would have to kneel. I can currently stand, but the top of my head hits the, joists of the floor above so if we do any renovation on the basement i'm going to have to you know go through it slightly stooped which i can live with it has it has a variety of things that need to be repaired the first one is that there's a gas leak uh which basically floods the basement with gas so we need to get that repaired <laughs> yeah that's instantly a, yeah there almost is, instantly yeah, I, before well, you move in well yes. without question yeah. there's a lot of stuff yeah. that needs to happen yeah. before we move in yeah that's like the roof it's yeah. got um it's got 50-year-old carpet, which my wife was able to pull up a little bit of, and it's got 50 years' worth of dust, but it's got the original hardwood floors under that. So we're basically going to remove all the carpet, vacuum heavily, and then move in onto the wooden floors. We have a couple of rugs. We'll probably get a couple more. The tenants are really very nice. I mean, like I said, they're newlyweds. They've lived in the uh, garden thing for about two and a half years. They're, you know, up-and-coming people. They're saving to buy a house themselves. So, yeah. You know, cool. I, I, having, you know, lived in a converted shed through my late teens and early 20s, I have a lot of, you know, it's not a brilliantly well, fur- you know, furbished unit, but it is very functional for them. And, it, yeah. you know, they've got a wonderful garden, actually, and they... Yeah, it's a nice place to have a... Yeah, live in a garden. Yeah. What the hell? So my tomatoes <laughs> will also have a home, you know, nearby the house as well, I think. The things that we're looking at currently are, you know, short-term things to really improve the place. And there's a lot of stuff that needs to be removed. There's a cement. Well, like, there's a, yeah, yeah, so you're things. taking on a huge uh, yeah. project here, a major. Yeah, yeah. it's going to take you several years yes. to, to do but it. But there's certainly things that we can do, and it's actually considerably better finished than a lot of the places we looked at. So yeah, it's going to be quite an adventure, Harry. <laughs> but um, it has yeah, it has four bedrooms, all of which are larger than the rooms that we currently live in here. Really, that's surprising because yeah. usually, well, yeah, because that's one thing I noticed about you know being even in big houses mm-hmm. uh, that were built in the twenties anyway. Mm. This is. You know, twenties and thirties, and the rooms were so small. Well, the twenties was a different time. Yeah, this, yeah. This yeah. house, this house is all the bedrooms are upstairs, and the downstairs, the rooms are very, you know, opulent, basically. Uh, okay, okay. So yeah. public yeah. area and the yeah, private area. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting in that place. Yeah, ah, you know, that's right. That my uncle lived in a really nice house in Beverly Hills, and mm-hmm. we we went up there every once in a while. It was like you know this huge two story place and. Mm-hmm. You know, well, anyway, you've been in Beverly Hills. You've seen those kind of houses. And, and I always just loved to go in that house and hang around. It was always dark downstairs. And <laughs> anyway, it was. Yes. But the rooms were not that big. Yes. Well, these these rooms appear to, some of them appear to be original. Some of them appear to be reportioned. The guest bedroom, I think, was an extension. I mean, there are various parts of it where you're just looking at it and you just think, this is clearly an addition, this is yeah, clearly original. Yeah, it's probably hard to tell, yeah, yeah. unless you really know your the, stuff, you know. Yeah. I suspect the the tenant's unit could have once been a coach house. 
I mean, it has that kind of feel yeah. to it. Uh-huh. And it's all very, you know, it's all very interesting. Does, does like, it need that much work? No, uh, actually, really? no. That's It's all pretty livable. There's a little bit of termite damage that we need to do some work on. Well, that's on. serious, though. Um, a little well, bit of termite damage turns into a whole lot of termite damage. Unless you realize that actually they've done no termite-related work through the history of the house. Okay, yeah. Well, if you can kill, if you can so, kill it now, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. it hasn't done much damage, then yeah. yeah you're- so yeah, I mean, I think the the project as it stands is certainly very doable. It can be very livable. I mean, it's it's move in ready, and we've just got a bunch of little bits and pieces that we have to work yeah. for over the next few years. So when do you figure on moving? Well, that's an interesting question. So suppose I mean it's going to be some time. We've given our notice here. So it's going to be sometime before June second. Oh, okay, so that's six, not that. Okay, yeah, sixty so, days run out. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think we're anticipating to be in the boxing season probably by the end of this month. Some things we're going to move over by ourselves. Some things we're how far is it? Uh, uh, so that's interesting. Now? It's about probably six miles from where we are. So in in relationship to work, will you be able to? Walk unfortunately, still or, unfortunately, well, I will, I will. Or bicycle. Bicycle is doable. Bicycle's about 40 minutes. If and I can still walk, pretty long ride, I can yeah. walk, um, a similar distance walk between two public transport points. So we have light rail here. Yeah. And I can w- walk from Netflix to the light rail station and then take two light rails to about 20 minutes walk from the house. So I would get my 40 minutes walk with light rail halfway in between. Yeah. Um, which is very doable. I've got my light rail card. I'm well, then you got all that. sorts of uh, possibilities yeah. here then, yeah. I mean, the one thing... So driving to work is not, not really an option? Well, yes. I mean, that, that is too. I mean, I'm going to I'm going to go and get my license lickety-split. Now the eyes have come through. So I yeah. think the main thing about driving is... Um, well, we probably won't be getting another car anytime soon. And my wife does like uh, the cars. So I, yeah, I, yeah. I like the public transport options, actually. Yeah, well, that's so, a whole different world. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. And, you know, I get some of my best... I was thinking that as I was walking here yeah. tonight, that I'm actually really going to miss the... Because uh, I walk through... I walk through basically a, a chain of ponds series and then obviously over a freeway and then into suburbia. But the chain of ponds part of my walk, if I cycle actually, I continue, I would take the creek trail that goes through the chain of ponds, but just take it north rather than, um, you know, rather than the route that I take it. Yeah. So I'd get a lot of similar kinds of stuff. I mean, it gets pretty, you know, it gets pretty kind of downtown strip mall-esque with you kind of dirt <laughs> dieting under the roadways through the creek because it's following a creek basically up lost Garnus creek trail basically um and yeah so it's going to be interesting i think i probably yeah. will get a bike well yeah so this is a, a whole and, new life yeah. you're going to create actually this is what one of those cases where you're discombobulated for a while until your new self emerges mm. because you're going to have all new patterns in in many areas certainly and those are all working in place integrated into your whole system now and that's all going to change Without over the question. next couple months yeah definitely and, yeah definitely. that's exciting yeah no i'm i'm really looking forward to it actually and i think the sense of peace that i get in in this house is something that i found really very striking when i first entered it firstly it's really cool like temperature wise it is yeah. cool even in the summer which strikes me very few houses and in the winter <laughs> well in the winter it's going to be interesting actually there's this kind of strange 1930s central heating which has not been updated so well, the we whole thing to... is about insulation in those old well yes actually 
I think the insulation. Well, clearly, if it's cool in the summer, then it's probably got good enough insulation. Well, maybe, be, yeah, yeah, you're right. Maybe, yeah. Well, it'll so, be interesting that you're going to find out. We must. Well, you could are. probably ask, talk to the people now and find out what what's going on. So, no one has lived in the actual house for well, certainly since the tenants have been in the little house. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just been empty. Yeah. How interesting. Yes. But anyway, it's going to be quite a project. A story that I wanted to tell last week, that unfortunately the embargo didn't enable me to tell, was that when we were doing our um, financing, the mortgage, I discovered that someone had purchased uh, a Mac under my name. Yeah, I saw that uh, post. Yeah, um, and it was really a very curious experience because they had my postal address, they had my social security number, they obviously had my name, and I guess because it's, I, this is interesting actually, it's publicly available that I work at Netflix. So they probably had enough information once they'd skirted it together that they could actually buy a two and a half thousand dollar computer, which was the cost of the computer that they bought. And really? they didn't know my mother's maiden name, but they basically had all my other details. I think the social security number as a means of identification is really, really, yeah, really yeah. dangerous. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, and you're right. The yeah. fact that it exists as a means for people to very easily steal your identity yeah. is really astonishing. The main the main thing that I found very curious was how quickly, when I was on the phone with Barclays, you know, they asked for the number. Now, this the schmuck that bought the Mac, I guess once they bought the Mac, they don't really care about anything else, um, had me had a credit card arrive for me, which is the way Barclays works with Apple. They send people out a credit card and just put a charge on the credit card for the computer. Uh, and I had the credit card, so when I got the thing from the, you know, mortgage broker, I thought, oh, that's that Barclays card. Well, I never started that Barclays card, so it's not going to be a, it's not going to be a problem, right? So then I call up Barclays. No, there's two and a half thousand dollars already taken out on the card. And my heart just absolutely sank because this is just the kind of bullshit that you want to be dealing with. When oh, yeah. You know, organizing. Yeah, at house. all. Yeah. Exactly. Well, the Barclays person asked, I filled it because I have the card in front of me. I could give the Barclays person the number. I could tell the Barclays person my name. And then they asked me. Oh, just me, like the other guy did. Yeah. <laughs> then they asked me my mother's maiden name, and I said, well, you know, it's this, but I don't think you will know that because this is actually a fraudulent card. And I explained it to them. Within two minutes, if that, no time at all. Like, Barclays must be constantly contacted by people who have to deal with this fraudulent crap. Yeah. I was in contact, and I called at probably 6.30 in the evening, and I was talking to someone within, you know, again, another two minutes who was cancelling this and reversing the credit check and doing all these other things. And knew and, what was going on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah right, because right. obviously it yeah. happens frequently. Yeah, yeah every day. Oh. <laughs> to somebody. The yeah. interesting thing, I've had this happen with I've had this happen with various banks and credit scary. cards. Because yeah, I don't even pay attention to that shit. Someone could get away with that with me. Yeah. And I probably wouldn't even notice. The it. thing that always <laughs> strikes me is that this this is a cr when it happens to my bank cards and credit cards. When I what do they call them here? Uh, well, credit cards or debit cards. That's what they call them here. They you always get the sense that they're that the people that are doing the thefts are not good because if they prosecuted them, that would immediately identify to their shareholders the extent of fraud that was going on here. I think there's a very strange relationship mm. where these card companies do not actively pursue the fraudsters because if they were to do that, so when this, well, if they were to do that, what? If they were to do that, they would actively show to their shareholders. Firstly, it would require a legal process or an indication. I'll tell you how I know this. 
when I first moved to this country in 2005, in a six-month period, I had three of these hits, including an incident where um, I'd never bought anything from the company Brookstones, but one of the fraudsters had bought things from Brookstones, and through that, I started receiving Brookstones catalogs. <laughs> and I called up Brookstones and I said, I find this offensive. This is emotionally offensive to me. This fraudster, you know, took my details and now you're sending me catalogs reminding me of this fraudster's behavior. Because I was relatively, because I was fresh off the boat, as they call it here, when I, I contacted the police. And then I contacted the credit card company, and then I said to the credit card company, I would like all the details associated with this transaction, because this is a crime against me, and I would like to see this crime pursued. Yes. And they said, in your contract with us, you have agreed not to do that, and if you want us... Wait not- a minute, this is in your fraudulent contract with us. No, no, no. In, in, no. So this was a case where someone had stolen my credit card and, or, and used my credit card. And the credit card company would only reverse the fraudulent transactions that this person had done in my name if I signed a piece of paper which said that I would not take criminal, oh. ac- uh, you know, I would not t- uh, against charges yeah. oh, okay. against the frauds. Oh, that's in. Oh, okay. Which that's made me feel like the bank was acting. Yeah. Why would they the do that? I because yeah. I believe their shareholders, if they, if you knew the extent of credit card fraud on a company like Visa, it would it diminishes the brand. It, yeah, it makes yeah. it feel untrustworthy, yeah, they, and this goes yeah. against the brand so heavily yeah. that they would much rather squish the twenty percent yeah, or whatever of fraud yeah, versus yeah. their profits. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. It's a very curious yeah. relationship. Well, as long as they make good on it. See, I had one deal. I, I knew it was. I suspected it was fraudulent. I got a, a saw an ad to buy a MacBook Pro for like half what it would normally cost, you know, uh, someplace in Nevada. Anyway, before I called, I called the credit card company and said, listen, I'm, I'm about to buy something on the internet that I suspect may be fraudulent. If in fact it turns out that way, am I covered? And they said, yes, no problem, no sweat. So I went ahead and bought it on that. And of course it was, I never got anything. And they Mm. took, I I authorized them to take like 1200 bucks or something for something that would have cost 2,500, you know, and they took like 3000, Yeah, (laughs) you know, so that would have fucked me over bad. But I caught, so as soon as I, you know, I wait, I mean, I waited a reasonable amount of time and contacted them. And on the very first day they reinstated the balance in my, uh, yeah, thing you know, and they said it wouldn't be resolved finally for sixty days yeah. or, or whatever you know. But in the meantime, here's your money. <laughs> yeah, these, so I was pretty yeah. impressed with that. I thought, okay. Yeah, this cool. has always been. These have always been transactions that I've never had any contact with. These have okay, always yeah. been. Yeah, that's people a complete, that have taken my details through any. Yeah, that's other much means. more invasive. Yeah, I walked right into this one. So yeah, it's a whole different thing. You're right. And the thing that struck me early on coming to this country was that these banks were just out of control. Like, my view is that actually if you're supporting this criminal enterprise because of your fears about it, there's something really going heavily wrong. I mean, the notion that people can charge, you know, well, I mean, I'm sure people make quite a comfortable living out of these fraudulent transactions. And if the banks aren't actively pursuing it, what's happening? Well, uh, they're paying for it. Yeah. That's what they're doing. Yeah. And who knows, maybe they got their own hit squads. 
Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, maybe Mac they're taking care of it another way. This Mac know? had to have been delivered somewhere, right? It wasn't just delivered to some abandoned building site. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they could probably. Well, like I say, these people that I, I mean, they processed. They had some way to process my credit card. They had mm. some connection, you know. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're just paying them off, I guess. Exactly. Or, yeah, well, like I say, maybe they're killing them too. Who knows? Well, banks are pretty treacherous. Why not? Why not? <laughs> You know, yes. just kill them. <laughs> yes, they are pretty treacherous. I mean, really, that's the best of both worlds, then. You know, they give us the money back, then they kill those guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the real question is, is money real through these kind of transactions? I mean, is it actually, is it, I mean, obviously a Mac is something. I mean, obviously something physical came out of this, but if the banks aren't taking criminal, and the funny thing is when I talk to the police, they were really not in any way <laughs> like who is this crazy guy with this yeah, funny Yeah, they don't want to hear about this. Exactly, yeah, you know. Yeah, like, did somebody get beat up, you know? Yeah. Is, is, can I go shoot somebody? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, was someone speeding? Like what what is this yeah. whole thing, you know? So yeah. no, it is very curious, the whole and it was really very interesting because the hostility that I received from both the bank and the police force. In fact, they, the local police force said you had to contact the police force where the fraud took place. And I said, well, the bank won't release where the fraud took place, so I don't know that. It took place in my email box. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it, you know, maybe they're in Pennsylvania. Who knows? But, yeah, mm. yeah. It's a crazy system. Yeah, local here. police, yeah. Well, again, mm. well, duh. <laughs> Yes, that's why it's collapsing. It doesn't mm -hmm. work. You know, again, all this begins to make sense when you see punctuated equilibrium. Yes. You know, it, it's clear, yes, this system is collapsing. Yes, hopefully we're <laughs> going to invent something that's going to be better. Yes. While my spiritual advisor was out of action. I, I have a, I, mm -hmm. I'm, before you go on, why not just call her Michelle? Is well, there that's interesting. So you know, I'd I'd be I'd be totally down with referring to her as Michelle. I mean, and then but here's here's the thing, Heron. Michelle, as she exists as an entity, a human being, as a she's, human being, she's not your anything. She's Michelle. <laughs> she's well. The, here's the thing. Michelle and I had a long discussion over a number of days associated with the way in which she's represented both in Stone Age mm. and also in Model Rail Radio. Yeah. And Michelle has asked me explicitly to distance her as Michelle from these recordings. Oh, really? Because oh. she feels that, as as you have described, this notion that she is in some way some property of mine. Yeah, your wife or exactly. your spiritual advisor. Exactly. <laughs> as opposed to but you Michelle. See, here's her concern. <laughs> as I represent her as Michelle, I'm actually representing a real person. Whereas when I refer to her as my spiritual oh, advisor... You know, you're playing word, but that's bullshit. You know, you're this, <laughs> come on. This procedure <laughs> has been signed off by her. <laughs> no, I understand. Okay, I got it. If you want, to, if that's what she prefers, I'll, I'm, I'm for it. I'll stop referring to her as Michelle. The thing about this is that most of our, most of, in fact, all the female listeners to Stone Ape that have explicitly contacted me, aside from a few recent female listeners, have all really real liked females or transgendered real females. females Heron, uh, okay. the no, transgender I just ones know what we're like talking to about. think of as being real females as well. But let's move on beyond that. <laughs> females who were born. Born women have all 
without any exception, and many of these people, and I don't necessarily want to use the term rabid, but many of these people are feminists, Heron, have all given the thumbs up to the notion of the spiritual advisor. Oh, yeah, yeah. As a concept. Yeah, I got it. The other thing is that the spiritual advisor, as I described... They're all a bunch of language monkeys, though. Who gives a shit what they think? (laughs) It gives her a degree of distance where new listeners may not be aware... They may just think I'm a very spiritual dude who hangs out with a spiritual advisor for That's a That's right. You got your own uh, exactly. yeah, llama yeah. That, that lives in the shed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Who I go to with, with offerings of food. That's right. You know? That's right. So, That's you know, I think, I think the spiritual advisor <laughs> as a phenomena is nearly as important as the language monkey in the general stone ape rapping. It's listen, also approved of by her. Yeah, uh, listen, I'll go with whatever you go with. That was just uh, something that I was thinking about because I, when we were talking about your spiritual advisor's uh, sur- surgical uh, tonsillectomy, yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just well, I, well, let me let me submit that I sus- I think Michelle would do just fine, and and I would ask her to reconsider. Uh, that and well, I'll go with whatever. No matter, no matter what happens here, unless Michelle herself participates in Stonate, I am representing an individual through my own language. Hey, you're referring. Monkey. You're just simply referring to a person, exactly, whose name happens to be Michelle. Yes, and her relationship to you may or may not be of any value <laughs> on in any given evening at, on a specific subject. You know, it's debatable. But, yeah, well, that that's just another factor, but yeah. she's just Michelle. She's yeah. just another fucking language monkey like the rest of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, spiritual advisor works for me too. If that's Very if good. that's where we're going to be, then I'll go with that. Yeah. As 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 our, many of our female listeners have noted, spiritual advisor also is essay hence stone ape. Well, you know what? I guess the problem I de- I I don't like is the my part of it, whether it's my wife or oh, my, my spiritual advisor. So how do we get around that? How how can we talk about it without implying the ever-eminent spiritual advisor? We can get even more elaborate the, with this thing. Well, we could just say the spiritual advisor. But the word the is, is just well, as is bad your, well, as my. Well, it? no, it's not. No, it doesn't imply ownership. It just implies there's only one, and there is only one, the Tom Barbelay's mm-hmm. uh, spiritual advisor. <laughs> yes, and somehow we but get more we elaborate. When we this see. is what happens when we don't have a subject to talk about. Oh, I got a subject to talk about, Aaron. You just haven't let me get to the subject because you're hung up. Sorry. Okay. So while Michelle was um, incapacitated and I was relatively sleep deprived, I started just really deconstructing what this whole Noble Ape thing was, and how clearly I had removed myself so heavily from what the first person, like the the experience of someone discovering Noble Ape was. Mm -hmm. This thing was just far too abstract. (laughs) And I started to get disgusted (laughs) with myself. Congratulations! Well, no, it just... How I'd let all this bullshit kind of cloud the ability of a new generation to come well, to Noble Ape. this is showing us how you are growing and how much you've learned since then. It only takes sleep deprivation and cooking vast quantities of mushy <laughs> food for a week and a half in order well, to Well, that's not bad. That's, you know, some people take 30 years sitting yeah. in a mountain stream, you yeah. know, so you spend a couple of weeks cooking yeah. mushy food. 
and not sleeping. And the and thing, sleep, yeah. th- the thing through this was that I realised that I actually have in in my own toolset, cognitive toolset, an ability to create an interface that would be not necessarily revolutionary, but at least convey the vast aesthetic elements of Noble Eight. And when I started mapping this out, actually working out the size of the noble apes versus the size of the bushes versus the size, ah, of, the yeah. and the size <laughs> yeah. of the landscape, I realized yeah. that the current visual interface doesn't explore the sublime vastness of the noble ape environment. So what I have done, which is actually pretty well game development 101, is I've created a series of um, component sketches, which I've scanned in and now represented as PNG files, uh, within Noble Ape, and I have created, or I'm in the process of creating a top-down view yeah. into the Noble yeah. Ape world. Well, you've had the sort of satellite view, now you need the first-person view. Well, no, this is interesting, because <laughs> the satellite view is relative, well, it's more like a radar view, because you don't get yeah. to see the details, and you certainly don't get to see the apes as entities interacting. Yeah, yeah. You, and yeah. As, although the first ape perspective is always an interesting one, my sense through just doing these initial <laughs> first sketches... First ape. I, I said first person, excuse me. <laughs> first ape perspective. <laughs> the, the, is that the top down with the level of detail of the plants and the animals and the movement and the bodies and these kind of interactions yeah. gives so much more than the current interface yeah. that it's a good stepping stone. And it's all doable now. Easily. I mean, that's the thing is, uh, that stuff, when you started this, was not really a possibility, no. you know, so... Uh, and now it's more than possible. It, yeah, it's yeah, it, it's ridiculous just simple. Yeah, it's, yeah. yeah, right, yeah. But that's a whole... That's so, a big undertaking. No, it, no, but here's it's it's how you it's how you take bites in these things. I mean, a lot of software development is really how you divide where you are currently to the end goal. A lot of engineering in general is that process. And the beauty here is that I can do feeble sketches initially to fill in these PNG files, and then I have three artists that I can work with in short order. One who's already primed. One who's, you know, waiting in the wings and another one who's been periodically pinging me for the past six months. And they can go in and actually change these PNG files to make them more aesthetic. While the engine is being developed, while I develop the engine with the apes moving yeah. over it with my yeah. little drawings. Yeah. And you lose nothing in time because you just start replacing my drawings with the artist's yeah. drawings. And yeah. then you start creating... Well, it's just it's structuring the whole exactly. thing. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the yeah. challenge. Yeah, well, the graph. this is interesting what? because yeah. what you start to do is you start to realize how doable this thing is. And when you start moving even with little elements of the aesthetics, you get drawn in. It's intoxicating to actually engage in these things because you start seeing the... It's kind of, you know, multiplicative in terms of your own interest in it. And you I know, think, this takes care of your uh, your comic book stuff. Well, the comic <laughs> book stuff in the... In the m- the comic book project has led towards this. They're, well, that's what I think is yeah. that, that, that almost becomes like that thing. That's what, but this noble ape project to turning that into a real exactly thing yeah. that, uh, that a first timer can actually get. Exactly. Yeah. And it's the awesome. thing that interests me through that is immediately the iPad interface. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. No, yeah. Yeah. you know, no yeah. problem there. Clearly, yeah. I'm going to be developing it on the desktop uh, yeah, initially. Yeah, but then yeah. you get this environment, which is pervasive. Wait a minute, why do you say that clearly for the desktop first? No, well, that's because that's where I'm developing on. That's my programming. But how much? Oh, okay, yeah. So that's what I'm doing yeah, but, initially. Yeah, but you know iOS as well as of a lot course. of people. So <laughs> iOS pays my bills, Aaron. So, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah. No, I think... W- 
my initial development, the initial thing that I'm doing here, which you will understand as an image file, is all the output is in PNG. So it's PNG in, PNG out. All I'm writing currently is the way in which you layer the PNG images to create the environment. And I end up with a large PNG file, which people will be able to scroll over. I'm adding parallax, which means that the tops of the trees appear closer to you than the bottom of the ape as you move around. It gives a kind of different... Yeah, all that stuff's all doable now. Yeah, 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 The the thing that I'm writing currently just takes a bunch of PNG files and then assembles them into one big PNG file, which is what the real-time graphics will look like in the end. You'll just have an image that you can move around. Uh, And that is, you know, that's part of the process. And the next part is obviously creating a real-time, draggable, scrollable environment where you see all the parallax and the nice stuff. And then through this, you integrate the simulation. So you start seeing the simulation being run through this environment. But yeah, this is, I mean, this is keeping me awake in the evenings in terms yeah, of actually yeah. working on it. Yeah, a, yeah, I can see a why. Phenomenal yeah, project. Oh, um, yeah, it's awesome. And yeah, and when I integrate the artists and these kind of considerations, it's funny, actually, because talking with uh, a co-worker in particular. You, I'm, let me ask you, yeah. you, you are familiar with the Mist series? Of course. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Because uh, right away, I'm thinking that that way of creating an environment really worked for me. Yes. I, but, but that was a long time ago, so. It's interesting, <laughs> you know? actually, because the will, there will still be, it will still have a certain retro, because it's top down, it's going to have a certain retro feel, but the depth of the environment, I don't think has ever been seen in game space. You're talking yeah. about, Roughly 30 miles by 30 miles were resolved down to ants' nests with apes moving over this environment, yeah. swimming, yeah. Yeah. frolicking, yeah. teaching their children, talking. You know, you, you part of this is actually discovering the noble apes. Yeah, we can have them evolve into language monkeys. We yeah. could, you could do the whole <laughs> thing from monkeys to language yeah. monkeys. But I think initially <laughs> it's going to be associated with exploration and discovery and all the biology works in concert or even independently from the noble apes. So you could actually become considerably more interested in, you know, the fish migration, uh, you know, the eagles, you know, going and catching, you know, fish and small yeah. mice and things like that. I mean, you could, you could get captivated by a number of parts of the simulation that you don't have primary access to. Well, of course, yeah, to. that's, uh, where do you end that? Yeah. Uh, creating that environment is yeah. get very complex. Well, no, no, the beauty <laughs> is actually that aside from the visualization component, all that element is part of the simulation. It's just people couldn't access it with a visual environment previously. Mm-hmm. The novel oh, okay. apes accessed it, but the people who were yeah. viewing the simulation couldn't access it through oh, the yeah. previous graphical interface. Yeah, that's no good. <laughs> well, I'm trying to rectify it. Well, that's good. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah I, I can't yeah. wait to see. So, I mean, I think the, the progress is incremental, but the energy is certainly there, and it's very exciting to even, I mean... It's really started just looking at a PNG engine, which is a very funny way for these things to start. But when I realized that I could very easily take these PNG files and start, you know, mixing and matching. PNG, I'm, this is portable network graphics, right? Yes. Those are large files. No, they don't have to be. What I'm starting with is a series of between 30, I think the largest files I have are 100k. So there's probably oh, okay. a meg. Of I initial, do much higher resolution. Of course. Yeah, that's okay. But, yeah. but the thing you have to yeah. appreciate about this as well is that a tree in Noble 8 is about probably six of these PNG files composite. A bush in Noble Ape is maybe three of these PNG files composite. Yeah. What I'm dealing with here is not uh, solid trees or solid bushes. 
it's the components of them. It's the branches. It's the right, yeah. leaf elements. And putting these things yeah. together creates almost a unique number of these things. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some repetition, but it's not going to be in the space where the eye would become, Yeah, not, Yeah, right. Yeah, you know. it just gets lost in the chaos. And yeah. within this as well, there's also an element where I can actually start using underlying genetics and these kind of things to create trees that are genetic representations of the, you know, using the genetics to create representations in the environment. So you want to create a whole real world then? No, it's well, the, the thing is that this yeah. has always been there. Yeah. It's yeah, just never sure. been visually accessible. Yeah, yeah. So when I talk about the apes and when I talk well, about the Well, it was visually accessible and, to you, but well, you were the no, only it one. It wasn't visually accessible. Well, it was yeah. interrogatable. Yeah. So the apes would eat the seaweed and it would report the ape is eating the seaweed. Now yeah. you can see the ape actually breaking apart and eating the seaweed. You know, it's a yeah. different experience. Well, you can actually be breaking the sea, uh, the seaweed apart yourself and eating it. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, no, this is... Um, it's been a long time coming, but I think it's basic. It's about. Oh, it seems obvious that, that that's the next step. Well, yes, it's obvious Retro is always in, in retrospect. Yes. Yes. yes, but when you look at it, I mean, again, when you started, these po these were not possibilities. Yes. Even if you're in your wildest yes. imaginations, who yes. would have believed that yes. we had terabyte hard drives? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's it's certainly something that. I I can't. I mean, I I told you maybe a couple of months ago. I booted up an old MacBook from I don't know ninety six, ninety seven. Yeah. In fact, it was one of the first ones that I got for Noble Eight. And I can't go back. I really can't. I mean, yeah. I I it's not that I'm romantic about those times. I survived through those times, and I persisted Noble yeah. Eight through those times. But the Noble Eight today just is something so much more through, you know, I mean, it's through people like Bob Bottrum as well, obviously. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I've got the, uh, my, my Mac portable, if mm -hmm. you remember those. Oh, of course, yes. The 16-pound. The luggable. That was what The was luggable, called. yeah. I still have that. The hard drive doesn't work, though. It's yeah. dead. And I've got an old G3 sitting in the closet, too. I don't know. The what desktop do or the, the laptop? No, uh, desk, you know, the desktop, you know, the floor model. Why, why do you maintain these things? Oh, I don't maintain it. It's in the closet. I, I just, I, I you... replaced it. And at the time, I, I don't know why I didn't sell. I was probably using it as a server or something. And then, yeah. uh, who knows? But now it's, it's still there. I mean, it's not worth anything. I don't know if anybody could use it. If I could give it to somebody, I'd be quite happy to give it to somebody. Yeah. Up until probably maybe six years ago, I could have used that kind of stuff. But yeah, no, just used. yeah, no, yeah. This is really. I mean, it's a G three. <laughs> yeah. It's like four hundred and fifty megahertz. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's funny that that's laughable now. Yeah. And when I bought it, I was so cool. Of course. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> It's a funny thing, technology. If it were an entity, it would be like a plague. You know, it just, it <laughs> yeah. takes over it's everything. It's so exponential. And then the, yeah, the obsolescence <laughs> is just so extreme. Yeah. yeah. Well, it can't last. Yeah, I think we are, again, with punctuated equilibrium as mm. I think we are headed towards equilibrium. But uh, we're still deeply into the punctuation phase. Yes. So, so yeah, the rate of change is still going to be great for a while. But I would expect it to drop off dramatically at some point. Well, eventually, 
which isn't really Kurzweil, but sounds like Kurzweil, eventually we will become obsolete. I mean, the, the whole nature of technology is about yeah. the obsolescence of humanity. Well, depend, well, well, depend on biology at least. Yes. But what, what humanity is maybe more about the patterns of thinking in the language. Yes. That, that if we can preserve that, that then the biology becomes irrelevant. Well, speaking. Well, not irrelevant, but but. Yeah. But anyway, the essence of us is, as I think, not biological. I mean, our our biological roots are our monkey roots, and those are all fine. But the essence of humanity, or whatever the hell that is, is really something linguistic. As we purchase this hundred and two year old house, I thought about this notion of time, and as it would happen. Through this 10 hours of Netflix thing, I watched a documentary this week about five schools of art that were built in Cuba in the 1960s. And each of the architects, well, actually, a couple of the architects stayed in Cuba, but they were demoted. One of them had to dig ditches. I mean, it was very curious <laughs> what happened to these architects. Because basically, the original revolution, in fact, it's interesting because I know children of Cuban poets. And the whole notion that there was a period of time in Cuba after the revolution, it was about six years, where poets and musicians and artists and all these kind of things, all these kind of people, this, this notion that a poet is a profession in Cuba in the 1960s. I mean, I guess there were beat poets in the US in the 1960s. Anyway, in 1965, all work stopped on these uh, uh, schools of art. But they continue to have students. They continue to have students up to the present day, even though these things are only partially built. This idea that architecture helps intellectuals do better work is something that I think has always been interesting to my my uncle, actually, as an architect. Um, he's my mother's youngest brother, and when I was growing up, he was always the favourite uncle, whatever that means. <laughs> your favourite uncle. <laughs> well, I, no, this, interest, this notion of your favourite uncle is very interesting. I, he was told to I mean, be my favourite uncle. he was the favourite uncle? uncle. Yes. <laughs> Which oh, I think, I think <laughs> the eldest uncle of the family, who I actually spent more time with digging ditches, um, was, I mean, he's just, you know, he's quite out there in terms of his general world views. Well, he's become considerably more normal, particularly since he had children. But he's the fellow who lives out in the Adelaide Hills in an avocado orchard that was recently burnt down. He built his own house, all this kind of stuff. I spent a lot more time with him because he had dams and I'd build balsa wood boats and, yeah. you know, push them across the dams and things like that. And my youngest uncle, who's an architect, actually now, for probably the past 15 years, works for Prince Charles. Which is something that I have no... It's funny, actually, because he'll post these things about how, you know, Prince Charles says the best things for London is that they need to go back to, you know, being like, um, you know, courtyarded manor houses rather than all these high-rises. He posts this crap. <laughs> you know, so it's very hard to continue. He's his internet press secretary. Yeah, it's this thing that he's representing this fascist. You know, I rarely use the term motherfucker, but I think Prince Charles deserves the term. And yeah, it's a, but anyway, he was an architect. So I had continued connections with kind of the notion of what the architect was in society. So as a child, I didn't really sense this, although the university actually that I grew up in, um, Australian National University, um, from age about six, seven. When I say I grew up there, my father was employed there, but I also would go there and program computers. I'd go there, I'd cycle around there frequently. They had amazing, as, as you experienced with the kind of, 
uh, anthropological film stuff. I would go and watch films there, anthropological films from a relatively young age. So it was the area it was very much of this kind of 1960s architecture as well. You know, strange curves and angles yeah. and things like that. Buildings that were just kind of bizarre looking by any standards, but were supposed to promote intellectual what have you. And this documentary was really interesting because the, in the 1960s, this was really the thought that if you made a creative and curious looking building, then the art students would feel... Um, well, the people who were yeah, yeah resided in that would be influenced somehow Inspired by it. By yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was an interesting... It's not an unreasonable assumption. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... It, it created a series of questions because when it became run down, when it became like a slum, <laughs> it also inspired a lot of people. I mean, that was interesting that in its, in its degradation, yeah. Yeah. it was also a point of inspiration. Yeah, entirely possible. Yeah. And through this, I started thinking about what, what retains importance as time continues. We have all these things that have historically, I mean, classical music is a good example here. My spiritual advisor and I listen to a lot of classical music. We really enjoy it. I mean, when I say classical, you know, we listen to 16th century music as well. I'm not, what's. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing was popular. Yeah. yeah. 16th, 14th century yeah. through 21st. Yes. In fact, we oftentimes. What you mean is actually good, complicated, intellectual, emotional music that touches all of your senses and all the parts of your brain simultaneously. Which mysteriously is less and less popular. Well, not so mysterious. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there are more people. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I bet there are more people now who are really turned on to that music than there ever have been at any time before, even though we're a much smaller percentage. Mm, that's very curious. Anyway, through this idea of what is important, because, I mean, I'm thinking of this in terms of this not light thing, that this seems to be something which is important in terms of just moving forward an intellectual idea that I've had for nearly 20 years now, that it's finding the language of importance in the current culture. And I've started to think this about writing. I mean, I've, through our four plus years worth of conversation, I think I've pretty... I've pretty well moved from academic writing. And in terms of, like, general writing, the general purpose of writing as a means of reaching people seems to be less and less important. So I'm starting to wonder what is... What Wait a minute, you say the idea of reaching people is less important? No, through writing is less... It seems Why? less relevant. I don't think people read the way they well, read not, five well, no. years ago. No, of course they don't. You need to write... But writing is still... It's essential. It's just how you write. That's what counts. You're still writing, even if you're writing, you know, well, to whatever level. It's just picking your audience and writing to them. So I had a moment of success creating a video about how crappy a magazine had become because people were about to resubscribe. And in terms of getting, I, I reflect on how I got 20,000 eyes, 20,000 pairs of eyes in five days on creating this YouTube video clip about how crappy a magazine was going to become. I got the magazine early, I was able to put it online quickly, and from that, in a five-day period, I had more than 20,000 pairs of eyes on my YouTube clip. And I thought, if I can do these kind of things incidentally, how does that translate to what yeah. I'm investing my energy in? Yeah. Well, that's just, you know, again, this thing about YouTube videos or other things going viral. Mm. You know, everybody wishes they knew how to make something go viral. Mm. 
<laughs> Nobody's figured it out yet. Well, that's part of the that's part of the luck in the lottery, really. Yeah. yeah, who knows? You know, yeah. But that's certainly something to shoot for. I mean, you certainly should probably try to make it do that if you can. Well, that's the point. If you're trying to put ideas into the world, then mm. then the the further you put them into the world, the better. Yes. And the interesting notion here is historically ideas were connected with things like writing. And a point that I wanted to actually make, particularly to our listeners, our Stone Ape listeners, is that we have, in a relatively short period of time, gathered together a very interesting and relatively diverse group of people through this Stone Ape thing that we did. But a large part of that, particularly because my understanding is that you may meet Marie and her boyfriend Justin, or Justin and his girlfriend Marie, at your talk. They, they <laughs> apparently will be taking documentary evidence of their attendance. Oh, that's cool. Listen, I welcome anyone who shows up. You know, despite all my <laughs> hesitation, uh, if anybody shows up, great. Yes. I think this phenomena is in part... I mean, the reason that Marie listens to Stone Age is because Justin contacted me three years ago against Noble Ape, against Noble Ape, about Noble Ape, and he's been following my work ever since. The reason a few people listen is because they've been following your work, and the reason a vast majority of people listen is through a series of very strange fractal iterations that have brought them here. And have you examined what these things are? Well, with... With the con- the Kundalini discussion came because we had a new <laughs> listener who had come through this format through uh, this E Prime conversation thing that had completely digressed that uh, you know Mots had discarded in his you know in his general melees and through this someone found Stone Ape and the phenomena associated with how people come here. I mean, I'm still not clear how Alice Lorraine ended up here. No, no, I'm not either. Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about it once. Yeah. Show the drama. Okay. You, you've, I've tried to get a, apparently she's suffering from a really bad cough currently and cannot participate in any recorded conversation, but our noble eight discussion will be coming, you know, sometime in the future. These fingers, these kind of fractal fingers that have created a community here, mm. I think can continue to work. What I'm interested in a good number of, and I, our list, my listeners do this in Model Rail Radio all the time. In fact, a number of the listeners to Model Rail Radio found not Model Rail Radio because they had friends that listened to it. And I think folks who are listening to Stone Ape, think now, pause your podcast playing entity, think of someone who, you know, maybe a friend, a relation, someone you sit next to on the bus, and consider talking to them about Noble Ape. Oh, sorry. Consider talking to them about Stone Ape and Noble <laughs> and Gendo and all the other stuff. But in particular, the Stone Ape format. What is it? How does it work? And how has it impacted your life? And if you could say that to just one other person, this thing will grow. God, I'm just cringing as I, as I hear this. <laughs> oh, God. You can't stand if they have, oh, No, listen. No, I can. But if you don't already know that, telling you is bullshit. I mean, if this touches you, I don't, and I really don't know why it would, but if it does, and you found some value in this, then, you know, why the hell haven't you told? But again, you're right. Most people probably aren't ready for this. So what's interesting, actually, the, the people who have contacted me recently have said, 
And these are iterative listeners, many of whom have actually come from Model Rail Radio to this. They are put in positions of discomfort occasionally through the conversations that we have. Good! They actually appreciate that this discomfort <laughs> yeah. moves them to a better place. Oh, really? See, well, that's, that, that's the ideal case where people are bringing their own intelligence to the, to the show. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think good what's, job. What's interesting, actually, is a number of folk who came to the Stonet recording, particularly from Model Rail Radio, have actually started to realize that what they really what they previously considered were points of discomfort were actually things that they realized was something that they had to work through themselves and now they've worked through it they actually can embrace this thing that previously caused them discomfort absolutely there are aspects of life that we avoid dealing with because we think they can't be dealt with yes (laughs) and then when you realize actually you can put it behind you it's not the end of the problems. It's just that problems behind you. Now you get some new ones that you can deal with. Yes. But, but at least you can put that one behind you. An ever-iterative sense of new problems. Yes, it's wonderful. Yeah. There's, there's no end to them. Through the week, I found myself in a position that I found myself in maybe half a dozen times in this country. And that is a conversation associated with sports. Where I'm from in Australia, aside from cricket, which doesn't even isn't even worth mentioning, there is a particular sport called rugby league, which is in no way connected with rugby union, which is a gentleman's game. Rugby league is about men who are genetically bred to ram into each other at high speeds. The ball is kind of secondary to the game. And these men are created from a young age where they don't feel pain like normal humans do. And they have muscular development in order to avoid a lot of the injuries when they kind of ram into each other. But it is a very (laughs) brutal sport. And it is a sport, well, they come from various areas. So outside the town that I grew up in, there was a place called Captain's Flat. And once driving through Captain's Flat, we saw a boy wrestling a pig with a number of people kind of surrounding him. And I realized through this interaction that this was probably a coming-of-age event. This boy wrestled this pig, you know, up until the time that he was in his teens, and then he could be drafted into, you know, rugby league. Very strange game. <laughs> anyway, I was sitting pretty You know, quietly. it doesn't... This is a great story. It, it's... Well, I love this. <laughs> I was sitting very patiently at lunch while some... My co-workers talked about baseball. And then eventually someone tweaked on because it's a rarity that I hadn't opened my mouth in about 20 minutes. And they said, Tom, do you follow any sports in the US? And I thought, this is my opportunity to introduce my co-workers to rugby league. Which is a conversation I love having because it enables me to point out that these ordained sports in the US are basically just commercial ballet. (laughs) It's a bunch of men wearing strange costumes that prance around. Then the beer commercials. Then there's more prancing. (laughs) Then the beer commercials. Then there's more prancing. Well, certainly basketball fits that description. Every American sport. Baseball, football. They all... Well, football gets a little physical at times. (sighs) I know. It's not... I know, I know. I mean, they get... They're wearing all the armor, for Christ's sake. Exactly. You know, yeah. And then I introduced... (laughs) Having had this rap, which I love to do about rugby league, I, I talked about the fact that when I first came to this country, the only sport that made sense was boxing. 
Because yeah. at least you could see them. Yeah, boxing just, is an awesome sport. And I explained to my co-workers that this was just extraordinarily violent. And then I got back to my desk after lunch and I decided to look up on YouTube a clip of maybe 16 minutes worth of, you know, the worst tackles in rugby league. And I presented it to my co-workers and there were these kind of gasps that echoed from the cube. <laughs> seeing these men ramming yeah. into each other yeah. again and yeah. again. The funny thing is that within the teams themselves, I'm not sure. I mean, ice hockey is is violent, but they wear padding. But yeah. within people within teams, within the same teams, will start attacking each other on the field. The ball is really secondary. <laughs> they're like pit bulls. Exactly. And they're just <laughs> slogging into each other. And you realize after about three minutes of this that these humans are bred not to feel pain. Yeah. Because this is something that would seriously well, incapacitate like, them. Well, actually, I don't think they feel, they feel it, but but it, it just has a whole different yeah. meaning for them. Yeah. They love it. Yeah. Yeah, it's alive, man. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> and to show this to people, because, I mean, uh, in this country in particular, the whole view of sports is that, oh, it's so masculine and, oh, you know, you got the, you got the football players. And basically players and it's the about the rules, even exactly. in football, right? Yeah. You know, is you can't, no, un un rules. no unnecessary roughness. Exactly. <laughs> and then you see these men just running into each other, being tackled <laughs> and thrown into other men, but they don't even look, are you familiar with the Masters of the Universe at all, Heron? No. It's, it was like a ch children's television show. He-Man was the main character. These are m basically men that are Completely muscle bound, virtually no necks, just solid. Hits. Yeah, I know. I I understand the concept. I mean, this, yeah, yeah. You know, Arnold yeah. Schwarzenegger in his bodybuilding yeah. days. These are men that physically look like that, but most yeah. of it is physiology rather than actual work. I mean, although they do do yeah. you know, a lot of physical activity, but it is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's breeding. Yes, brutal, <laughs> violent sport, which is shown. Which children grow up through, you know. It's interesting because when I was in the UK, you know, there's this whole soccer. And is this still a big deal? Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. And, and where in the world is this, uh, um, predominantly go on? New South Wales, but Queensland as well in Australia. Okay. So it's, okay. It's in Australia. Yes. And. And where? I'll provide you the video. I'll post okay. the video on the Okay, so it's Facebook only there. in Australia. Then. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you have Rugby Union, which is the gentleman's game that universities play and all this. It's so, rugby Union is, you know, highbrow. Yeah. And then you just have yeah. league, which is just... College. No, it's no, no, it's not <laughs> college at all. None no, of these people have been to college. They oh, left really? school oh, at 16 okay. so they could get into this. Ah, okay. I mean, it's not in any way... The whole, yeah, the whole notion of college sports here as well also creates this whole, you know, hoity-toity intellectual yeah, thing about yeah. this. No, none of this. This is, this is... Rugby is just out there and bash your fucking brains out. Well, yeah. rugby league, <laughs> let's be clear here. This is a very distinct definition. It's interesting because Murdoch, I think, it might have been Packer, actually. I think it was Packer who's, who... Murdoch and Packer were two buddies in Australia. <laughs> you got to think that Australia is really the epicenter for creating media moguls because the media is so tightly controlled by these originally two families, the Packers and the Murdochs. Murdoch left, obviously founding Fox and Fox News and all this thing here, and Packer kind of stayed in Australia. And his thing in Australia was, um, you know, creating this bizarro political ideologies, what have you. But at the same point, really, really violent sport. And he couldn't, um, league 
had reached a level where it couldn't really get any more violent. So he created, I think, what's called maybe Super League or something like that, <laughs> which was all like ex-felons. It was like league players that didn't have their teeth and had murdered someone. You know, it was just like... And I don't actually... I think it was probably... I think that went on for like two or three seasons. I think I left Australia through that period of time. And that was just like... And for whatever reason, it was squashed. I think it was squashed on a local level because the local teams yeah. were just I mean, so... That's- yeah, I mean, we and we look back at the Romans and the Lions and shit and think, you know. <laughs> and so I watched about I watched about four minutes of this league YouTube, and I probably listened to probably about two minutes, particularly <laughs> when the same team is like socking each other just continuously, and the other team is actually coming in to break up the first team's fight. <laughs> You start to realize that this whole thing is just all breeding, yeah. so far beyond. Like pit bulls. Yeah, anything that the U.S. could going. understand in terms of sports. So, you know, after showing that to my co-workers... It's like, just organized mayhem. Is yeah. What, yeah. But it's all, it's all associated with regional ah. affiliations, too. I mean, it's got that sports element to it, as, you know, well, but people why, here yeah, but why would they, the Red But Yeah, but fighting their own team? <laughs> I mean... That's just plain fucked up. <laughs> yeah. It's a mentality that you have to actually well, be no, in yeah, Australia well, it's, to it's, understand. Yeah, it's an animal. It's a, yeah. down at the animal level. I mean, yeah. it's beyond any social bonds or anything. It's well, just, yeah. But yeah. Um, to grow up in that, and I've forgotten, actually, I mean, I lost track of how violent it was. It, <laughs> it had become, actually, an amusing story that I would say at different times. Reconnecting with, actually, the YouTube video of how violent it was was something that I was not, I, I guess I was prepared for. But to see it just reminded me of, you know, one of the many reasons that I left Australia. These people would enter bars occasionally. My hometown actually had a relatively, like, you know, I mean, in terms of winning, a team that won quite well, particularly through the 80s and the 90s. But they would enter, all it took was two of these guys to enter a bar and everyone else would leave. I mean, they had such a, they, as you say, they're modern day gladiators. They basically are physical entities who go through so much abuse. And it's funny, actually, because in this country, there's all this, again, I think it's to do with, you know, the notion that these men are educated and paid. But there's this whole notion that football players, you know, in their 50s, their bodies are deteriorating, they're running out of money, all this kind of stuff. The league players were like stud ponies, quite literally. Their (laughs) genetics was the most important thing. I don't know what happened to league players in their 50s. All I know is through their 30s, they just had a lot of children. And basically, you know, that that was a big thing. But yeah, it is so curious. It's funny actually because, I mean, cultures like the Samoan culture, uh, and well, New Zealand as well, I don't know whether it was a a league team or not, whether it was a union team. I think it was a league team actually. You know, they just, this whole notion of physical menace in this game. And these, most of these men had, would just ram into each other at full speed. They would run as fast as they could run and slam into another (laughs) human being. Yeah. Regularly. Like in a yeah, game no, they I know. Yeah, that's, 50 times. Yeah, 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 I got it. Yeah. Well, welcome to Earth. Uh, <laughs> in uh, what year? Is 1980s? <laughs> well, no, I don't know. <laughs> but yes, I think when you show people that level of satire, it really makes them... It's, it's an interesting point of kind of self-question. Well, it's sort of interesting to observe, yeah. you know, as an anthropologist. Yeah. And then apply to yourself. 
Yeah. I guess part of it is is because of my description. Firstly, my co-workers were like, oh, yeah, Tom, you know, this is a great story. And then they saw the video. <laughs> but part of it is also that this is a strong, like, this is, I have probably half a dozen of these stories that I actually look forward to rolling out. Because in one thing, it really is quite a strong critique of this eulogized American sports culture. But when I lived in the UK, there was this whole notion of football hooliganism. Now, football hooliganism is a real phenomenon in the UK. When Manchester United <laughs> plays, they take everyone off the trains and they video them. Because in the 80s, obviously, there was this football hooliganism phenomenon. And the whole, the whole nature of the way the UK does everything is always, like, super overboard. Yeah. So if you ever walk through, you know, Manchester Central Station on the day Manchester United played, everyone wearing Manchester United colours were up against the wall being videotaped. This whole notion of like soccer violence and the scourge that it was on the UK. When I went to Michigan State University, they are, they have a whole school associated with football there. But it's very, football's the best thing ever. It brings so much money to the school, you know. This isn't in any way connected with violent antisocial jock culture, which is all I basically saw at, at MSU. You know, people running up behind you on their scooters because they were on the football team. They could bump into you and honk their horn, make a big joke about it, but they were on the football team, you know? So yeah. yeah, what right are you going to do? <laughs> I think yeah. I told you associated with seeing the cheerleader camp where I thought it was like some kind of religious indoctrination thing. But it's interesting because this whole notion of sports particularly in terms of, I mean, coming to it from a kind of old Marxist perspective, it's just exactly the same thing as religion for the masses. I mean, it's... Yeah, keep them know, entertained, man. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sports, that's a major it. thing. Yeah. That's my major criticism of why I think men are such assholes, <laughs> for the most part. You know, I don't know how many times I've sat at the counter at Coco's next <laughs> to some guy reading the sports section of the newspaper yeah. who knew the averages of every goddamn player in every league and mm. this and that and all these statistics and had a point of view about this manager or that second baseman or whatever. But beyond that, he fucking was a dumb, unconscious language monkey. When you talk about autism, the experience that I had was, I think I've told you this, but in my final years of school, they had merged, they closed sufficient numbers of schools that we were in the same school with a bunch of special school students. And one of the kids there, I think his name was Arthur, probably not Arthur. Anyway, he... He remembered every cricket score back to 1920. <laughs> and people would walk up to him and they'd say, yeah. you know, 1943 second test match with England. And he would recite <laughs> the scores. Yeah, right. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Like, just amazing savant yeah. in this one particular area. Yeah. When we get some sort of technology of consciousness, all that shit should be opened up for us. I mean, if he can do it, there's no reason you and I couldn't do the same damn thing. It's trivial. I don't think it's, it's trivial. Well, I mean, it's, well, that's a separate issue. Uh, but it's, I think it's certainly, uh, I mean, if, if his brain does it, any brain can do it. There's nothing mystical about it. Well, it's not that it's mystical. It's that our brains have to do other things. His brain obviously doesn't do, well, I mean, that's my, perhaps my assertion. So maybe I should withdraw that assertion. Well, some people are incapacitated by that. You're right. Yeah. But, but that's a separate issue. Like I say this particular skill, I just see it as an independent, one of those bumps in the terrain. Yeah, that's all. I often wonder if I knocked out a wide variety of things in my personality, if I would be able to do other things better. 
<laughs> and good question. You know, I think this is the. I mean, I deal with this with model rail radio. I mean, they're you know they're participants in that. They clearly are very deficient. Yeah, the core yeah. of of you is not your personality. No, your personality is an act. Yes, and sometimes you know, sometimes you might want to change that act. Yeah. <laughs> I was reflecting through the week that I encountered so much anger through my childhood. So many angry adults. And I do wonder if this is a phenomenon associated with Australia. But adults that would just let their rage be the defining factor in their interaction with me. And this was such an aspect of my life was just to have an emotional blindside to these mm-hmm. adults that were just emotionally stunted in some fundamental way yeah. that just had this rage that some aspect of their life had failed, they hadn't worked out, and they were in front <laughs> yeah, of this yeah. fucking kid. Yeah, yeah. And they were going to let this yeah. kid have it because whatever else yeah. in their lives had not gone Well, out. see, this explains why, you know, it's good to recognize that you are indeed a brain-damaged language monkey, yeah. as we all are. Because I was reflecting on this because yeah. I, I had a, I mean, I've had a number of form managers that have been like this. We're all, we've all been raised by crazy people. Yeah. Different kinds of crazy, but, you know, crazy as hell. <laughs> I was reflecting on this associated with having tenants. Like, I pride myself in being a good... I mean, for the tenants that we have in Vegas, we have a membrane between us. But I pride myself in firstly doing things like not raising their rent, making sure that if they want to do modifications, we're very happy about them doing modifications, doing assistive things for them. And now we will literally live next to our tenants as well. Yeah. But this is a choice. And all the landlords I have had through my life, including the commercial entities that have acted like landlords, have never behaved in this way. And I can choose to go against everything that they have done to feel better about my... No, you want to have a, a relationship with these people that, that serves both of you. In part. I mean, I could be an asshole. Well, you could, but... I have that choice. Yes, of course. You can do anything you want to. Yeah. That's, the, that's the whole point. <laughs> it's totally up to you. That's why, to me... Well, anyway, it doesn't matter what it is to me. That's That's your choice. When I left Australia, I'd been living in the shed, as I called it, which was basically a double garage with kind of broken fixtures and what have you, for two and a half years. There was an academic that owned the house, although he rented out the house, and he would come and bang on my door, the shed, and, you know, just (laughs) demand rent increases and demand that he saw various things. And really, he had um, almost an adversarial nature with me. And when I left Australia... I had a lot of media associated with that. I put some of the, well, I put one article on Facebook that was in a national newspaper, but I had a lot of local media associated with the work that I was doing and the fact that I was going to Silicon Valley and all these kind of things. And he came around in the final viewing with a series of respect-based questions like, how are you doing this and what's going on here? And I realized that his interaction with me as a landlord had been so brutal that I had lost track that he was actually a human. You know, as well. Mm-hmm. And he was now giving me respect because, I mean, basically, if I was living in the shithole for the length of time that I lived in it, clearly his respect had obviously dwindled on me. But he realized <laughs> that I was actually using it as a vehicle to get yeah. the hell out of Australia. Yeah. With a certain trajectory. Yeah. But it was interesting, actually, because through that, I thought if I'd had, a like, a nice relationship with the guy through the entire period of time I'd lived there... I would probably... Wouldn't that be nice? Yes. Yes. We'd probably still be living there. No, I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No. But no, it would have changed... It would have changed yeah. a series of experiences yeah. oh, that I yeah. had. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. And my... People are such fucking assholes. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's astonishing to me. 
Yet there are so many of these defective people that are still wandering around, that are still making kids' lives hell, that are still basically propagating this well, whole that's a, The vast, vast majority yeah. of the homo sapiens that now exist, yeah. right. Yes, and you got it. Truth be told, <laughs> I am in. I mean, to be a landlord is, but that could change luxury. very quickly. Yes, you know, it's just about changing the way we talk to ourselves. Certainly. It's not that difficult. Yeah, I am fresh out of topics, Heron. Is there anything that you want to conclude with? You tend to, you tend to have a nice philosophical rap at the end of these recordings. I do. Well, yeah. that spoiled that. <laughs> now, now the pressure's on. <laughs> you tend to start some. The discourse that throws <laughs> together a series of threads that have occurred in the recording yeah, yeah. and come to the conclusion that we are all brain damaged language monkeys. Well, that's scum, a good start. That's a good place to start. Full of that. You know, yeah. you can't go wrong by pointing out that we're all a bunch of brain damaged language monkeys. I think yeah. that's one of the fundamental realizations of this new story mm-hmm. is that you've got to have a certain sympathy for yourself because for just how fucked up you really are. Yeah. You know, because we all are. <laughs> yeah. But but once you sort of face that, sort of like <laughs> the 12 stuff, once you face that, you can begin to deal with it. And actually it is dealable. It you it's just a story. It's yes. all it is. It's just a story. And you can change the story. That's not that big a deal really. Amen. Well, Heron, I'm going to be in the same location when I speak to you next week. The week following, I might be in a new location. We'll that that soon? Before they even put a roof on? No, they'll put a roof on within the next week or so. Oh, I don't know. The, I, maybe a week following because we've got to get the cable connected and stuff. I don't know whether we'll stay here longer. No, there's no, listen, there's no hurry. You've we'll got work it out. Yeah, there's plenty of time. Yeah, yeah. do it comfortably. Oh, man. Enjoy the process. I'm really looking forward to... Well, my hope is actually, I went back and listened to the recording when, we, when you first announced your talk, and I was looking forward when I we recorded that, because I mentioned it, that there would actually be a proper video recording made. Since then, I've gone back and found who the fellow who organizing it is, and looked at his YouTube presence, and his YouTube presence seems to be a series of three to five minute promotional clips. And I guess I'm more concerned now that I probably won't see the video of you doing your Beyond Adultery talk. Well, we'll see. I don't know. But I, I'm well aware that at least some of our listeners will get to see it. And at least some of our listeners will get to shake your hand at the conclusion, <laughs> potentially. And I'm actually very much at peace with that whole thing. That some people I'm will get to meet you, you and interact with you. <laughs> and that is probably the best I can do in my current setting. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. See, I... Yeah, I mean, I just don't get that, actually. Um, I mean, there, well, I'm trying to think, you know, there are people I really, well, no, there are some people whose presence I'd like to be within. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess, I guess it's the same thing. It's just hard for me to imagine that there are actually people who, uh, feel that way about anything I've done. But then on the other hand, that's exactly what I'm hoping for. So. Exactly. <laughs> Here in the paradox lie. Here in it lies, yes. yes. And it's a little bit scary because I've seen what happens when people start to believe their own bullshit. Yeah. And it's, it gets really easy to believe your own bullshit when uh, you're surrounded by people who believe your bullshit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's. In, I mean, I think, and I've said this previously, but I've tried pretty successfully to create a movement through Noble Eight, which in no way eulogizes me. And in fact, actually is almost a satire of me. Which I think is important because it then means that people can view this work independent of a guru. 
And I think to a certain extent, because of the way that you present yourself, Heron, you have almost created the same kind of thing. I don't think... Although it's interesting, actually, the Zeitgeist folk certainly, or at least in their recordings, appeared to have a sense that you were a guru. I'm not sure. Wait a minute. Oh, okay. No, 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 they they say, and here is Heron Stone, the language man. Yeah, yeah, for a while there I was known, yeah, for my language stuff there. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, you know. That's fine, because that made, as far as I was concerned, what was important is they were thinking about language. Not so much me, but if they're talking about language, that's a good, that shows some progress, I think. Yeah. Well, with that, Heron, it's been a pleasure as always. Look forward to talking next week. Take care. Good night.